That's the sound of ice going into a coupe glass. So Oscar Wilde really liked ice in his champagne because he's a freaking weirdo. I mean, um, oh god. So we have a two mic setup for this week. So we'll see how this works, and if I just sound really loud for some reason. Yeah, if one of us sounds particularly louder than the other, uh, it's not because we don't love you. It's just because I don't know how to balance a microphone. Yeah. It's a, it's a long-standing problem. A long-standing problem? Well, my microphone, microphone isn't standing because it broke off. That, but... was, the, that was the joke, the microphone stand. <laughs> a moment of silence for that joke that Tori just killed. <laughs> That's the second one. I know. I'm That's like... the second one. I, uh, I miss it sometimes. It's okay. It's, it's that kind of morning. So welcome to Pride Month. Yeah, happy Pride. Happy Pride. Um, happy uh, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Now that you've got like a minute into us trying to figure out what we're doing. Um, this week we're covering The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Yep. Um, I'm entitling this episode, Hot Boys Make Bad Decisions. Yeah, I was also thinking maybe like a... Something that can play on like Bill and Ted's was excellent adventure, but boring and gay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of fair. I say, am I wrong? Have I spoken a mistruth? No, I think maybe we go there. Okay. Um, as per usual on the pod, uh, we have a cheese plate. We have a cheese plate. It's fantastic. What's on our cheese plate? This we week? have a Kerrygold Dubliner Irish cheddar, which the package says uh, surprisingly sweet. Which that should be interesting. Yeah, that sort of called you when it came to Oscar Wilde. It's like distinct flavor, surprisingly sweet. Like distinct flavor. Yes. That Oscar Wilde is full of distinct flavors. Yes. And we also have what is not a champagne because we don't quite have a champagne budget, but it is a uh, sweet sparkling wine, which is close to heck enough. Yeah. We'll go with it. Besides you'll get always those, those people who are like, Oh, well, you know, if it's not from the champagne region, I mean, I am that pedantic fuckwit. I okay. am that person, but I'm also, uh, had to be the person at Whole Foods looking at bottles that weren't seventy dollars. That's true. So, and you know, I, I am the a hole who's like, um, it's it's Frankenstein's monster, not Frankenstein. So, like, I can't even judge you. Oh, I've officially become that person uh, correcting people who say uh, Gouda. Tell tell them how you pronounce. So, how the Dutch pronounce it is Howda, and uh, I only know this because I watched the art assignment, which is done by uh, John Green's wife. And uh, she lovingly shamed us all for saying Gouda, but I can't do anything lovingly, so now I just do it aggressively. That's fair. Do you want to open this bottle? I do. Okay. Do you, do you want me to open it or do you want I to want open it? I want you to open light? it because I can't be trusted. Okay. Um, do you want me to hold the microphone? Yes, hold the microphone. Okay. So, like I said, my stand is completely broken, so I'm holding this like I'm some sort of talk show host. I mean, you kind of are. Oh, God. We're going to die. I'm going to aim it away from your face. I need... Like, I need that for pride. Nobody died. Nobody died. No one died. Okay. We're okay. okay. We're drinking out of coupe glasses that may or may not be period appropriate. Yay. The coupe glasses are also because uh, our husband and I power watched Good Omens last night and thought that it was very important to drink out of coupe glasses while we were doing so. Which are not modeled after Marie Antoinette's breasts. There you go. Yeah, that was always the myth, is that uh, coupes were modeled after Marie Antoinette's breasts. Uh, that's not true, but I like that story a lot, so I keep telling it. There you go. Cheers. Cheers. Happy Pride. They don't make the satisfying clink, but we're okay with it. Ooh, that's good discount sparkling wine. That's actually really good. Thank oh. you for acquiring wine. Of course. How dare you make me go to Whole Foods Market? And buy cheese and wine like the stuffy Frenchman that I am. Shame on you. <laughs> so this this book, uh, we're deciding to be in a little bit of excess because a little bit of excess, a little bit of excess. My Tinder um, name. That's your Tinder name. Yes. I feel like we should create accounts every time you say that's a new Tinder name. But also, I don't want to be in charge of those accounts. So we can we can add that to our running tally of a where we sort authors oh, in the different yes. houses, we can make another list, which I do have that chart. I just there, haven't updated there is, it. There is a chart. We just, yeah. We, we have the conversation of what, what house would they be in? The cheese is not distinctly sweet. It's not distinctly sweet. I'm going to try this out. It's not bad though. Sorry, I'm going to hold the mic away. It does taste a little bit like Ireland in that it is a 
vaguely angry at the English. It's like an angry English cheddar, which is an Irish cheddar. Don't ever say that in front of an Irish person. Am I wrong? The Irish people will beat you up for calling me in English. Well, no. I know that they're different. That's what I'm just saying. It's like it's intentionally doing something that the English do okay and then making it angry. And I'm fine with that. All right. So we're going to go into the short story long. By all means. So it's a little bit of a breakdown. There's a painter named Basil. He has a friend named Lord Henry. Lord Henry is kind of a dick who's like super into earthly pleasures. So when he's hanging out with Basil, Basil lets it slip that he has this really awesome new friend named Dorian because Lord Henry sees this painting that he's done and it's gorgeous. And he's like, I want that shit. Can I buy that picture from you? And he's like, no, 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 no. And he's giving him all these places that he could display. He's like, no, I'm just keeping this for good. So Lord Henry asks to be introduced to Dorian because he's like, well, this guy's pretty hot. And he's like, uh, and Basil goes, no, 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 no. You're like Mr. Corrupter Pants. You're not doing this. So, of course, Dorian chooses that moment to come visit, walks in the door, and Lord Henry is like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be so much fun. He tells Dorian that with his youth and beauty, he should be doing a lot of wild shit because otherwise he'll get old and be, why didn't I do fun shit with hookers and blow? So Dorian takes Lord Henry's words to heart. He has a complete freakout and offers his soul to the painting of himself and says, well, if he, it'll take the pain of his aging for him, he'll give it his soul. So, again, Lord Henry is asking for the painting. Basil says, no, it's Dorian's now. You can't have it. Dorian ends up starting this life of hedonism, falls in love with an actress named Sybil Vane. Her brother James is like, this guy is not good enough for you. He's not a good man. Walk away. And Sybil's like, but I'm totally in love. He's great. So Sybil and Dorian get engaged on the down low. And Basil finds out, just like, why are you doing this? Dorian says he's totally in love with Sybil because she's an actress. But the problem is now that she's in love, she, Sybil becomes a terrible actress. His friends are all there when she has a horrible performance as Juliet. And Dorian ends up breaking off their engagement and returns home to find out that his painting is now sneering. And he did this in like a brutal, brutal way. So... He goes, okay, well, now that I'm seeing this painting and it's sneering, tomorrow I'm going to go. I'm going to tell her I am so sorry. I'm going to make it up to her. And the next day he goes to speak with Sybil and finds out that she's off herself. So Lord Henry comes to tell him and is like, hey, I'm so sorry to hear it. It's going to be okay. And then he's like, by the way, this death is totally an artistic triumph. It is a feather in your cap. And Dorian's like, okay, fine. But he takes the painting and hides it in his attic so he doesn't have to look at it anymore. Lord Henry gives Dorian a basic how-to guide on debauchery from a wicked Frenchman. And Dorian uses it as a checklist. Which TBH sounds wonderful. It's pretty interesting to me. Somehow his scandals make more people interested in him. And he just keeps looking more and more gorgeous. But the picture is getting super fugly. Mm. So one night, Basil comes to confront Dorian because Dorian has a super bad reputation and is being a total shithead. Dorian shows Basil the painting and Basil begins to beg him to repent and turn away from being an asshole. But instead, Dorian grabs a knife and kills Basil and says, well, it's too late to be redeemed. Dorian gets a doctor friend named Dr. Campbell to help him hide the body. Um, so one night, years later, Dorian is in an opium den and he accidentally runs into Sybil's brother and freaks out. So James Vane is back. When he finds out later that James has been accidentally killed by a hunting party, he's relaxed. And then one night he loses his shit, stabs the painting because it becomes so ugly. And then his servants hear a really loud crash, come into the room, and they just find this wrinkled, hideous creature on the floor. And the painting has returned to perfection. This book is like analogy the novel it is like analogy the novel it really is and i and i and i'm not saying that that's bad it's just if you've listened to the pod or you've listened to me at any point in time uh i never like being hit over the head with a metaphor you're it, gonna really really hate the scarlet letter yeah i mean I, I do there is no i'm going to i do hate the scarlet letter you hate the scarlet letter so Act, much. actively um Luckily, Oscar Wilde's writing is interesting enough that I can kind of ignore it a little bit. Not a lot, because I do think that he's a better playwright than I do think that he is, like, a prose writer. And you can kind of see the start of 
his playwriting here because his dialogue is so strong. Right. And then his descriptions are so overwhelming. It feels more like he's writing a comic book script. Yeah, I, I really wish this was a play. Yeah. I wish one that he cut a hundred pages into that this was a play. I really do feel that's why this keeps keeps getting adapted in yeah. different forms. Um this is a great this is as a screenplay, this is wonderful. And I mean this this has been used a lot. I have kind of a list of things where he's he's in pop culture right now. Um, there's recently Unchilling Adventures of Sabrina, Dorian's Grey Room, um, in Penny Dreadful, he's a huge figure. He's in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and there's even a Carl Lagerfeld film. Woo. Which is interesting to me. Um, it's this figure, it, Dorian Gray, just captures the imagination of, but I mean, I could. But I could. But I could. I probably shouldn't, but I could. Mm. Um, the book was originally published heavily censored because Victorians. Yeah, Victorian England was strange. Yes. We'll probably dive more into that, but uh, here's your tantalizing teaser. Victorian England was strange. There you go. So you had included a note about what Oscar Wilde actually said about the book. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so in my research for this, because I do occasionally research this, uh, Oscar Wilde had said that the three characters were reflections of himself. Uh, Basil being what I think I am, Lord Henry being what the world thinks of me, enduring what I would like to be in other ages, perhaps. Uh, we mentioned the tripart psyche last podcast. Mm-hmm. Yay. I, I, I read my own I read my own work and I listen to my own podcast sometimes. Um and it reflects the idea of especially as a artist, as a creator, what you present to the world and how you think the world represents you. Like I know I struggle with that as a writer, but I'm pretty sure the simulacra of me that you would build from my fiction is not the person that I am. Shout out for using simulacra. Thank you. Do I have to describe what a simulacra is? I mean probably. Fuck. <laughs> what you get for using language oh damn it uh simulacra uh comes from the word simulacrum it's sort of like the um it's a built-up image um there's this whole like research theory about facebook being the simulacra of people um so basically it's almost basically just what you project and what you want shown we've we've angered every dog in the neighborhood they knew we were talking about oscar wilde and they wanted to voice their displeasure they decided to get wild (laughs) <laughs> that's my second one i've made two get wild puns and uh i think any further tori might quit tori would be the one who quits the podcast actually i'm, I'm enjoying it so, i like uh, it um so i think that's quite interesting um also not in a surprise at all of where oscar wilde sorts himself that of course he wants to be dorian of course he does and naturally the world did think of him as a lord henry just a strange Lord Faffington running around uh, hosting Roman orgies and drinking champagne from cleavage and stuff like that. So there's quite a few themes in this book. Um, art versus life, cultural obsession with youth and beauty, mm-hmm. superficial society, mm-hmm. and homoeroticism. There is, you know, the homoeroticism part I think is interesting because it does harken back to almost a Greco-Roman ideas of like this weird homoerotic courtly love, like love between two men is very romantic and nice. Yes. I can hear your champagne. Oh, God. Move it away. <laughs> Move the cup away. Um, so I put homoeroticism in a question mark because I don't... We'll, we'll talk about Oscar Wilde and sexuality when we get towards the end. But um, that's definitely a thing. It goes back to that whole, uh, this is not exactly how two bros talk to each other. Not exactly. Um, obviously art versus life. There's a lot of that in regards to the portrait itself. Too much. Too much. Um, even with Sybil's acting, how she's able to portray all of these very famous Shakespearean heroines. But then the second she actually falls in love, she can't portray Juliet at all. And like, just seems totally uninterested to be there because she knows what true love is. Can I just say that I hate the myth of the tortured artist so much? Yeah. Do I have to explain that too? So the myth of the tortured artist is something you're going to see with a lot of writers and artists. It's the belief that you basically have to be suffering to create good art. Mm-hmm. Um, 
not necessarily true. Uh, I would like to point out the author, Elizabeth Gilbert. She did suffer a lot, and then now her books are still awesome. So, uh... yeah. Um, and then I, I, I will get very, very personal with this. I will say, uh, during my younger years, and I was trying out different antidepressants, because that's what you have to do when you have depression, is you don't just take one and it fixes you. Yeah. Uh, you have to really try, like, dosages and stuff like that. There was a good year or two of my life where um, I couldn't, like, write poetry. Um, and I always blamed the medication for that, because I'm a good, angry Victorian writer. And I blamed the fact that I was told to stop having suicidal thoughts. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that is 100% true. Um, any medication that works with your brain chemistry... You have to find the right one. Yeah. It can be a long process. It can. It can be super short. It can. Um, and that's one of the reasons that doctors are like, okay, uh, I need you to see me every three months while we figure this out. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you get lucky and you try one and it's great. Yeah. Um, but it's not a perfect science yet. No. And that, and that process can be frustrating. So I know like as a, you know, angsty, rebellious teenager, like the thought did pop up, like, well, if I stop taking my medicine, then I can keep writing. And it's like, no, no, dumb child. Don't do that. Do not do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not advocating that at all. There is zero part of me advocating that I'm telling you the opposite. But it goes into that whole like myth of the tortured artist thing that you'll hear all the time about painters who stop taking their meds so they can paint. Writers who will stop taking their meds and seeing their therapist so they can finish a novel. Like, you see that a lot, and it's, as a writer with mental illness, it's exhausting to me. And it's super dangerous. That's too. so dangerous. It's We're not so really talking about how dangerous it is. Just, it's, it's tiresome. Right. And I mean, a lot of that comes from our society, too, which is interesting. It ties into superficial society. It does. Um, where, you know, you hear a lot of, of screaming about, oh, mental health care, mental health care. But then there's still a really big stigma if you say, yeah, I have major anxiety or I have depression or, mm -hmm. you know, I had thoughts about killing myself. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, go see a therapist and you're like, okay, well, that's great because you need to like try and find a therapist. But um, it's still the super superficial help. Um, and we see a lot of that in Dorian Gray as well. Yeah, especially with the fact that um, it seems to sort of it seems to be the strange intersection of two hedonistic cultures, and all this feels a little bit uh, pre-revolutionary France in places with Lord Henry. I know time-wise that wouldn't exist, but like he does feel like he was ripped from like a Marie Antoinette party. <laughs> he, am I wrong? No, you're not. Yeah, he, he does feel like he was ripped from the background of a Marie Antoinette party, and then uh, to discuss a bit of Victorian England, because realistically we have an entire different podcast on English history, uh... While Victoria herself as a queen, not just the beautiful Tory that I have sitting next to me, uh -huh. um, as a queen was a little bit uh, staunch and prudish, uh, this was a time in history where England had, one, a great deal of wealth, two, a lot of things coming into empire, and three, too much time on their hands. There's the famous quote, the sun never set on the British Empire. Yes. Uh, but they also had things like gin and opium and... Lots of free time. Lots of opium dens. So many opium dens. Um, opium is a hell of a drug. Opium is a hell of a drug. I've never done it. Um, just because I am already weird enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't need help. Um, opium is my favorite type of incense. Oh. That's a good one. It is. It, it, it smells like uh, you've committed a sin. I kind of like that. <laughs> um, we won't talk about the drug aspect of it, because that's not what kind of people we are. Nope. But, as, like, a debauchery standpoint, um, these substances, be it whether alcohol, champagne, or opium, did make it very, very easy to lead very hedonistic lifestyles. What's interesting, too, about how superficial everything is in this book is, I mean, how many times they go to a party and somebody's like, oh, um this is so-and-so, they are my bestest friend ever. And then they, they've known each other for five minutes and then they turn around, they're like, okay, so this guy, let me spill the tea. Um, there's also a lot of the cultural obsession with youth and beauty, which yes. Dorian can basically get in anywhere and do whatever he wants, even though people know he's a really shitty dude. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, even there are quite a few women in the book, you know, are ruined by him. And so you start to see towards the end, the women are warning each other. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a checklist system. It's like, hey, I know he's super hot, but like, back away, like come over here. I think you compared him. Up. I think you compared him to a Kardashian when we were talking. Yes, he's like the original Kardashian. We we're actually friends in real life. We don't just come together for the pod and then hate each other. Yes. Like, we're actual friends in real life. And um, I remember you messaging me and saying, "Oh my god, I think he's a Kardashian." And I got really really scared. And I I didn't like that I made my own reference about Kardashian. I watch a lot of reality television. I can't judge you, but um, it's true. I mean, when you think about um, like a Litzmania. Okay, I don't know what that is. You don't know? Oh no. my god. Okay, so uh, Franz Litz was a composer. And okay, so he was so popular as a composer. Think of like Bieber Fever, but with a composer. Litzomania was the original Bieber Fever. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, so Litzomania is a real thing. Like people were following him around. Women would throw themselves at him over his like composing work. Is that why he was like always traveling? Yes. Okay. So I just uh, made a parallel between Bieber Fever and Litzomania. I win. You I did. Win. I win the podcast. Oh. I win the podcast. But yeah, like that whole idea of being powerful and being attractive and being all of these things. Or um, if you watch the movie Amadeus, which is hilariously inaccurate, but is a fun, fun movie. Just so inaccurate. I'm sorry. I hate being that person, but it's so inaccurate. I mean, like we could have an entire podcast about inaccurate films. Don't get me started on Braveheart. It's, it's painful. I love that Braveheart is yours. Um, oh God, inaccurate films that piss me off. Apocalypto. Oh, <laughs> Apocalypto. There was something the other day that we were watching, and I'm like, well, this is a really cute adaptation of this, but that's, that's not, not what, what happened. happened. Um, but yeah, like this idea that you could get in anywhere. What I love is because I was almost a classics major. Uh, you? Really? I took Latin for 10 years, yes. It was almost a classics major. I thought that was just because you were Catholic. Uh, that didn't help. <laughs> that certainly didn't help. Uh, it, it does very, it, it feels very Greco-Roman in places, which I guess ties us back to the homoeroticism. Homoeroticism. There's also something that we noticed in Dorian's clothing when they're going through the whole list of different things that he has and objects and mm-hmm. focuses very heavily on asceticism, which we'll go into a little bit later. We will. Um, but he's got St. Sebastian in one of his items. He and- does have St. Sebastian in one of his items. So, hello, greetings. I'm an actual Catholic. Well, I'm technically an esoteric theist, but since no one knows what that means. I'm like, Catholic it is! Catholic it is! Um, so, St. Sebastian is actually uh, one of my patrons, not just because his name is Sebastian. If you know me personally, that is a hilarious joke. Um, so, as a saint, Sebastian is weird because he used to be a uh, Roman soldier. Or this is like something hundreds, 80, like four or five, I think. Um, basically, during that time, the Romans were being really, really crappy to the Christians, which, I mean, realistically, that was true for most of history. And Sebastian was like, hey, stop being mean to those Christians. Uh, of course, his legionnaires were like, shut the hell up. <laughs> and when he continued to protest, uh, he was put to death. He was put to death by being tied to a pillar and had um, arrows shot at him until he died. Which is a horrible way to go, by the way. Because they're mostly aiming for his torso. Like, they weren't even aiming for, like, his heart or anything. They were just mostly, like, shooting at his belly. Which is a terrible, terrible way to go. Um, Here's the thing about St. Sebastian, though. Everyone who paints him paints him hot. Everyone. Like, if you Google St. Sebastian, everyone who paints him paints him hot. And... The other thing is that the whole idea of one being stripped nude and tied to a pillar is very homoerotic. Uh, the idea of being penetrated over and over again by blunt objects is hilariously phallic. Just comedically phallic. So you'll see this waifish but somehow still attractive man tied to a tower like a BDSM poster just semi-nude and like like arrows coming out of his stomach like this is torture porn i kind of feel like we need to rename this episode comedically phallic comedically phallic yes like it's it's hilariously again like someone thinks they're being very clever like 
oh, it was almost like something happened to him. Um, he was a martyr. That's why he's a saint. He really didn't do anything for Christianity. Like most saints to become saints had to do something. The best thing he did was die hot. Which I mean is my goal for sainthood. I mean, I can think of a few actors that died hot. Right. Like, I mean, that's my goal for sainthood. If I can just die sexy, then. I thought it was stay sexy, don't get murdered. Ah! Take a drink. So, the book in question, who's like the checklist, it's never really described. I was like, oh, it's probably the Marquis de Sade. But I was wrong, folks. According to Spark Notes, because, yes, we reference them heavily. We do. Um... They think that the debauchery Bible is Joris Carr Hussman. I can't talk properly. Um, our, okay, you speak French. Is it Arabors? Yeah. Arabors, or translated against the green or against nature. That's a pun. Yep. That's a pun. Sorry, I have to explain that. Uh, when you're usually tying people up, you usually go with the grain of the rope so you don't get uh, too many rope marks on people. Hi, I'm an actual deviant as well. There we go. Um, Dorian is also obsessed with men who kill, which is in this book, and um, and really who isn't, but this is like a whole list of bad guys, and he kind of uses it as a checklist of things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I may love that podcast my favorite murder but i don't use it as a checklist no um it feels like those guys who like remember that whole like csi phase yes and it was like dudes who were way too into csi on and off yeah so there's actually this phenomenon like in criminology called the csi effect where everyone thought they were experts because csi was a tv show Oh, uh, yeah, and that's why a lot of people got kicked off juries. Yeah, it's so, like, everyone thought they were a fucking expert because CSI was a thing. Uh, Criminal Minds has it a little bit, too. Um, fun fact, if you ever want to see me at my most vulnerable, make me watch Criminal Minds for a day, and I will stay the fucking side. Because Criminal Minds turns everyone into an unsub. <laughs> um, what's interesting, too, about the CSI effect is uh, there's a fabulous writer and doctor named Judy Melnick who has a book, which I can't think of the name of right now, but just look up Judy Melnick. Um, and it's all about how, you know, what real life is as a coroner and um, doing investigations and actually inspecting bodies after murders and things like that. Um, and she it was quoted in public as talking about how her husband turns off CSI if it's on or any of those shows, because she will be like, wait, but, you can't wear those kind of shoes to the crime scene. You can't do that. Um, and, and like, it, nobody would do that test. We can't get that back that fast. That doesn't exist. Right. So. Um, look, later on in the book, Dorian goes into this whole passage about why uh, Lord Henry is a dick and he shouldn't have given him the book and all this stuff. And um, I put the quote in here just because if you ever want to reference it. Um, it's, you poisoned me with a book once. I should not forgive that, Harry. Promise me that you would never lend that book to anyone. It does harm. And Lord Henry's like, whoa, whoa, calm your tits. And he's like, calm, my, calm thine tits. Calm thy memories. My dear boy, you are really beginning to moralize. You will soon be going about like the converted and the revivalist, warning people against all the sins of which you've grown tired. You are much too delightful to do that. As for being poisoned by a book, there is no such thing as that. Art has no influence upon action. It annihilates the desire to act. It is superbly sterile. The books the world calls immoral are books that show the world its own shame, which is very Oscar Wilde. That's the most Oscar Wilde thing I think I've ever heard, but also it reminds me of like satanic panic and everything. The idea that oh, well, if you show kids and allow kids to be around you, like, super bad influence things, that's going to be the spark in their mind. But, like, no. You don't get Rod Farrell's from nothing. Oh, God. Do I have to talk about Rod Farrell? So, Rod Farrell was actually somebody I was obsessed with when I was in high school because I was like, how do I avoid boys like this? Yes. Um, he had a girlfriend, and he decided that he was going to start this vampire cult. Am right. remembering this correctly? Okay, but you're leaving out a very key part. Okay. So, the whole thing with Rod Farrell is Vampire the Masquerade. 
Yes. Which was a LARPing game and also a computer game. I used to play the computer game, which is why I know about Rod Farrell. Um, so he was really obsessed with Vampire the Masquerade. And he had this girlfriend that he met through Vampire the Masquerade. She lived in, like, Florida or something. He yeah. lived somewhere else. I don't know. It happened in Florida. <laughs> um, I mean, doesn't it always happen in Florida? It always happens in Florida. No offense. We're from Texas. We really have no place to stand, okay? I have an Alamo to stand on, man. I'm doing great. Um, <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Um, but basically it was like, hey, the girlfriend was like, hey, my parents are terrible. Uh, I wish that something would happen to them. And Rod Farrell was like, that's like a great idea. So he gets his air quotes vampire coven together. They make a murder road trip to meet his girlfriend. He kills the girlfriend's parents mm-hmm. like with a... Uh, with the poker from the fireplace. Which is like, you just, what are you doing? Right. That's just wasteful. If you're an actual vampire, you wouldn't waste that. Spoken like a true vampire. Um, does the, does the murder, uh, liberates air, the biggest air quotes, liberates the girlfriend. Uh, I mean, they're caught promptly. Like, they're, they're caught very promptly. Yeah, their ca- their car broke down on the way to New Orleans. Yeah, like, they're, vamp- vampire Mecca. Like, if, if you're gonna kill somebody and try to run away, I mean, at least get your car serviced first, right? right. At least go to the Firestone beforehand. Um. <laughs> Firestone, the official car place of vampires. Accurate. Is this, like, um, part of the demon camp? Yes. This okay. Is, the vampire camp was consulted. We all use Firestone. Oh. I mean, I want to know who you're you're speaking with. You're like... Okay, so there's a survey. I'm going to need you guys to click. It's on SurveyMonkey. Yeah. Um, if you could it's actually, it, it's a MailChimp. Uh, it, <laughs> it, it's MailChimp, actually, uh, depending on your purchasing. I, was, I work in marketing. That's why I know this shit. But, um, so yeah, Rod Farrell did the murder. He's captured. He blames Vampire the Masquerade, which is why I wasn't allowed to play Vampire the Masquerade as a kid. I mean, same. Yeah. Thanks, Rod Farrell. You ruined it. He's still in jail, isn't he? I don't know. He, he thought he was immortal. Yeah, he said it was like a hundred. He was like a hundred years old vampire, I, and I don't, I can't see him coming to San Antonio and being like, "I'm here for two podcast hosts who have a very limited listening circle." Like, <laughs> I would actually cry if Rod Farrell found my apartment, knocked on the door, and said, "I heard you talking shit." I would actually hug him. You would hug him, I, and then punch him in the neck. But I would hug him first. <laughs> I would be like, "I have this taser. I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch my purse. I don't know." Um, but yeah, like this whole idea that, um, it, so we talked about Rod Farrell for too long to bring up the point. Um, that has to be inside you already. Like I played Vampire the Masquerade and I haven't murdered anyone. What's like the whole thing with, do video games cause kids to do horrible things? And it's like, um, no, you kind of have to have that in you. Right. And like, I have that example with anime because like I'm a huge anime fan. And one of the biggest reasons why my aunts didn't like me watching anime was because how sexualized it was. First of all, don't ever give a kid a challenge. Don't say this is too hardcore, because I guarantee you I found more hardcore things. Mm-hmm. I had the internet. Like, first of all, then I found more hardcore things. And two, that already had to be inside me. Like, that already had to be something that I wanted to seek out. And then, like, that did something for me. That is, especially when it comes to, like, that weird anime stuff, that, that is an on-off switch. Either you like this or you don't. And I mean, we use a lot of things that are cautionary tales for kids when yeah. they're younger, too. And I mean, some of it works, some of it doesn't. A lot of it, it I mean, you see this with kids, too. It's it's how you react to it. Right. Like, if a kid falls and they scrape their knee, if you start going, oh, my God, you must be so hurt, they're going to sob and they're going to, like, freak out. But if it's a light scrape and you don't make a big deal about it and you're just like, you okay, buddy? They're fine. Right. Like, it's it's kind of like when I was a teenager, you know, if people were like, "Oh, you you can't you can't read that because that's that's horrible, that's sinful." My mom was like, "You can read whatever you want, just don't be an idiot." And I'm like, "Okay." And so I mean, I was reading like Anne Rice novels and stuff, and being like, "Okay, so this seems really flowery, but but I didn't go out and like start a vampire cult. I mean, I was a goth kid, but I started a vampire cult. I'm just kidding. No, I didn't." I was gonna say, um, <laughs> last time I checked, no, I did not. I was not invited to the vampire cult. No, you're in the demon camp. We don't want you. I'm kidding. I um, want to be in the demon camp. Okay, fine. Don't, don't convert. <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, like that's that's a weird thing for me. The idea that like a book can scandalize you because like yeah, realistically, I read some things that did scandalize me, but either I didn't seek those things out further, or I was curious. Anytime you make something taboo, you're more likely to do it. Mm-hmm. Also, as a society, once you make something taboo, nine times out of ten, it just becomes more popular. I mean, it's the whole reason why we have like grimoires and stuff like that. Like these whole like, stories of books that'll like murder you and such is that they're full of taboo secret knowledge. Like, um, I recently, uh, picked up a copy of the, um, non-canonical books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a Catholic, like, that's heresy. Like, that's terrible. Like, why are you even acknowledging this? And it's like, these are just weird books. But then the, what's interesting, too, is the Catholics have the Apocrypha, which we don't have in the Protestant no, religion. Not. And then they're like, oh, you can't seek that out because that is sinful. Those are not the true works of the Bible. And I'm like, but this explains a lot of stuff. And, and even if it doesn't, because, like, I've, I've read the Apocrypha. It's just weird. Well, then there's also, um, there's this, this author that just came out with a book called The Unseen Realm, which is fascinating. There is a lot of literature that's called Second Temple, or it's like like the Book of Enoch and stuff like this. I love things, the Book of Enoch. Things that the Israelites would have been familiar with, which mm-hmm. are coded into the Bible. Right. So there's references that we're never going to get because we didn't read that stuff. Right. Or we won't acknowledge it. So it's like, okay, but well, like, they're give, making a cultural reference. Sure, but also like give people their... Like, I read the Proto-Evangelion of James. That's just weird. Even though uh, Jesus is a small Draco Malfoy in the Proto-Evangelion of James. I can't imagine Jesus is a small Draco Malfoy. Have you, have you read the Proto-Evangelion of no, James? No, I need to. Need, I okay, so there's a story about Jesus in the Proto-Evangelion of James where Jesus is on the roof, like as a kid, playing with a friend. I don't know why they're on the roof old-timey times. Old-timey times? I don't know why he's on the roof. I don't understand but, uh, I mean, if you ever give a kid an opportunity to be on the roof, they're gonna... I don't give a hoot. <laughs> it's on the roof. Um, he's on the roof, he's playing with a friend, uh, the friend is an emanate. Uh, a, a tussle happens, and the neighbor boy falls off the roof and dies. Everyone blames Jesus. Jesus is like, I didn't kill him, it's not my fault, uh, all full hellfire sequence, I'm not to blame. It was the witch, it was the gypsy girl, the witch at the flame. Like, oh my gosh, you just... Thank you. Uh, did all that, and uh, so like you know, Mary and Joseph are still blaming Jesus. Hey, you murdered this boy. Jesus uses his powers, brings the kid back to life, and is like, "Tell them I didn't murder you." <laughs> and it's like, "Yeah, that's right. Jesus didn't murder me." And it's like, "Good." I think like he, I think there's two different stories. Where, like either he kills the boy again to like fix the balance. Like he's dead. He can't come back for too long. He can come back to prove a point where he's like. Continues to live and is fine. I'm sorry, I can't picture pushing daisies, Jesus. I'm just saying that happened, or uh, according to the proto Evangelion of James. But like, let me read that so that I can decide this is insane. If you keep this from me, <laughs> then, then I'm gonna find it later and be like, what? I mean, it's it's a little bit too. <laughs> Hi, we're going off the rails this week. Um, I think like, it's what Oscar Wilde would have wanted. I'm gonna get in trouble, and they're gonna find us. Scientology. Like, when you hear people have actually read what's in the briefcase, mm-hmm. and they're like, wait, we spent this much money for this? Mm-hmm. What is happening? Or, like, how suddenly L. Ron Hubbard got hushed up towards the end, yeah. and, like, was kind of hidden off site? Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I could do that with other religions that I'm choosing to be nice. Yes. But, um, yeah, this whole idea that um a book can scandalize you, like, no, Dorian, that had to be inside of you already. So, one of the things I found really, really interesting about Oscar Wilde mm-hmm. is he is one of the first authors that had fan fiction written about him. Yes. And about his characters. Yes. So, in the 20s, it was, like, the height of it. Mm-hmm. But a bunch of people got caught publishing additional works saying that, oh, Oscar Wilde wrote these. They just not never got published. And see, like, I'm sitting here going, I thought we were ahead of the curve writing things for, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer in no, anime, weren't. but no, no, this is a, like, I was joking with Amanda that we need to bring back jazz, bathtub gin, and fan fiction, mm-hmm. but evidently these things have never left. Yeah, I was like, when did we ever lose any of those things? I mean, like, I want to learn how to make bathtub gin, but I also don't want to go blind. Fun fact, gin is just vodka plus botanicals. My whole life is a lie. Well, yeah, that's the only, it's, it's vodka plus oh, juniper. That's all it is. It's vodka plus botanicals. All right. That's why you can have potato gin. It's a party. 
We were talking downstairs, uh, saying that the reason you keep me around is because I have solutions to things. You do have solutions. So <laughs> I tend to have this thing where I'm like, okay, let's find 15 different elaborate ways to fix this. We'll build a Rube Goldberg machine. And Amanda's like, you could just get an extra cup. Yeah, we were trying to figure out how to bring ice upstairs. I think Tori was willing to, like, go outside and, like, sew leaves together to make a basket. Okay. <laughs> the leaves are off the peach tree. They're really good leaves. I'm okay? just saying, like, that's pretty much the suggestion you had was make a makeshift basket of leaves and, I'm, like, go to the pantry and get another cup. I had to confront myself last night watching Good Omens because... I knew you were going to rope Good Omens into this somehow. Oh, I yeah. was just waiting for it. Oh, yeah. I thought I was I was a Crowley. I did. But... I never thought that about you. I am in a zero fail 100%. I never like, thought that about you. Yeah. I mean, Mark was laughing at me because I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, the books. Oh, my God, the food. Oh, my God, this. Like, I'm just sitting there going, how, how after 30 years did I not understand that... I'm a zero fail. I've known who I am since the start, so. So basically, um, Good Omens is one of my favorite books of all time. Amazon made a TV show. We're not sponsored by Amazon, but I'm obsessed, so. Yet. I mean, Amazon, if you want to throw some Audible credits my way, I would not say no. Is this where we talk about Oscar Wilde? We're going to talk about Oscar Wilde. Since we talked about literally everything else. (laughs) Do you want to hear, like, the best name ever? Oscar Fingal of Flaherty Willis Wilde. Like, how the hell do you monogram that? It just sounds... I, I, this is going to sound hilariously culturally insensitive, that just sounds made up. I mean, it's an Irish thing. I know, but like, and I'm admitting cultural insensitivity. I'm admitting that. I'm an African-American. This sounds made up to me. This sounds like uh, when you're making like a username and you get to pick your own name for the first time. Because I know I couldn't be trusted with the names I chose for myself at 16. Oh, yeah, no. No, we had to create, um, a, I think it was a Yahoo account when we were in high school so they could teach us how to make our own email accounts and how to use email properly. And mine was like Jenny Calendar 15 because I was 15 years old and obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, yeah. stop it. So Stop it. Oscar Wilde was born October 16th. He was Scorpio? 1854. I believe so. No, he's a Libra. He's a Libra? Okay. I don't I don't know. I do. He ended up dying November 30th, 1900. He was born at 21 Westland Row. It actually, that property now belongs to Trinity College Dublin, which is awesome, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, his birthplace is now the Oscar Wilde Center of Trinity College, which houses the Irish writing and creative writing departments of the School of English. And it is draped in silk, and you can get a glass of gin upon entry. I mean, I would love that. I would, I would love that, too. So his dad had a lot of kids in and out of wedlock. He had three in and three out, if I remember correctly. He was super into alcohol and super into sex. Fornicating. I mean, same. So you're going to see the name Speranza quite a few times in Portrait of, uh, or Picture of Dorian Gray. Portrait is like a, a movie. It's a whole thing. I always call it the wrong name. So it's Picture of Dorian Gray. I forgive you. So you don't get in trouble when you're writing an essay. Um, so his mom went under the name Speranza to write Irish revolutionary documents, and she held salons. Um, she was super colorful. She was six feet tall. She wore mauve all the time. All of her shawls had, like, pictures of her family members draped on them in, like, little brooches. So she looked like a walking museum. That's what a Biography called her, and I, like, want to be her best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, she would love telling stories, even if they stretched the truth a lot, which was where Oscar Wilde learned it. Uh, According to him, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Um, Oscar would come and watch her salon along with his brother, but he was not allowed to talk. He was only allowed to listen. That is very Southern. Very Southern, but it also started him observing everyone around him. Picking stuff up. Mm -hmm. Um, He found his true sense of style when he was at Oxford University. Initially, he was able to use funds from his dad because his dad had a lot of money, but then his dad died and they found out how in debt they were. Mm-hmm. And his mom had to move. It was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. Um, he, when he went to college, he actually had a scholarship for Trinity College right next door. Mm-hmm. And then he got another scholarship to Oxford. He lived a pretty typical life there. He dated a lot of women, he cheered for sports, he created a fabulous persona. And he ended up becoming famous for being witty and weird and fun to have at dinner. 
Um, he was super proud of his Irish heritage and really big into the aesthetic movement, which was spawned by the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, yes. which is like my favorite art group. So you've got Dante Gabriel Rossetti, mm-hmm. who's really Gabriel Dante Rossetti, but he changed it because his dad. Yes. Um, Burne Jones, William Morris. William Morris, um, and Burne Jones is just the last name. That's not the first name. Um, but William Morris, his wife actually had an affair with Dante Gabriel Rossetti to the point where they moved Rossetti into the house so they wouldn't be an object of ridicule. It's a whole thing. Like, everybody was sleeping with everybody. Rossetti's wife um, supposedly killed herself with laudanum. It's really fun. Anyway. Um, fun? I mean, that's sarcastic. Really. Okay. <laughs> so, for the aesthetic movement, it's basically you become art or you create something beautiful. Um, it's basically the beauty of objects and their influence in the world. So anti-Dada, anti-surrealist. Exactly. Ah! There you go. It is making the world a better place through art. Yeah, literally anti-Dada. Um, Oscar Wilde was so popular that the Prince of Wales at one point in time made a crack that to not know Oscar is not to be known. Uh, I probably did not quote that directly. I am incapable of quoting directly unless I write it down. Um, so... Wilde used to throw flowers at Sarah Bernhardt's feet. He was totally in love with this girl named Florence Balcom, who ended up getting snatched up by Bram Stoker back in Ireland. I love this. I love, like, I was reading a biography of his wife, of uh, Oscar Wilde's wife, Constance Lloyd, Constance Lloyd Wilde. And just all the tea spilling is fabulous. Mm. So um, Gilbert and Sullivan thought Oscar was so fascinating that they made him into a character in a play, but they didn't use his name, super lampooned him, mm-hmm. and it just made him more popular. It's like when we used to make fun of Tila Tequila. Yeah. Oh, That's no. an early 2000s reference I can't take back. How dare you bring up that monster during Pride Month? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Because, like, for so many people, that's, like, your first introduction to bisexuality. For so many muggles, that's your first buy, and she's terrible. Yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't use her. I don't support her. Uh, so... Oscar ended up being so popular that he ended up going to America to lecture on aestheticism, which is interesting because at the time he was like, it's so funny, Americans don't read. Um, He ended up in all places Texas at the Menger Hotel in San Antonio. So I have have deep love for this. I also have deep love for this because that's like right next to where I work. Yeah, this is this is like our backyard. So it's kind of awesome. Don't triangulate the location. I wonder if he liked the U.S. He had a really good time in the U.S. I, I feel like most most people who visit the U.S. that are not American find it remarkably cute, but are eager to leave. I mean, I've heard that. I've also seen a lot of English people move to Texas, so... Well, it's England. What? I mean, if you don't move here, you move to Australia, which is basically British Texas. Or British Florida, depending on the port. I would say, I would say British Texas, because Australia has... They have since... Florida. I was going to say, meanwhile, the Maori are like, no, no, don't send any more people here. Yeah, the Maori have been saying for about a thousand years, please stop sending people here. So Oscar's future wife, Constance Lloyd, was a huge fan of aestheticism. She was known for having some pretty cool outfits, including this one dress that had pomegranates like all over it. There's a picture online. Um, And she was a lot like Oscar's mom, which is so stereotypical. It hurts. Yeah, Um, that took a year off my life. She spent a lot of time at the Grosvenor Museum, which is actually mentioned in the very beginning of Dorian Gray when they're talking about the picture. And Lord Henry's like, yeah, you should put it there because if you put it in the Academy, there's too many people and there's not enough people to watch. And it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she wrote a magazine with Oscar Wilde um, and Constance still, I, I really like Constance. So I want to point this out. You have a thing for the wives of authors. Yes, I do. Like, I want to, I want to fix it for them. Was he? He wasn't that bad. He was, He just. He stayed away a lot, and he caused a lot of scandal. Hence, why I said that bad. Okay, I gave him an out. They had two awesome children, and he was super involved with his kids. But he was very uncomfortable with Constance anytime she was pregnant. Um, and he would like would write things about having to open the windows and get fresh air and get away from her. Um, because he was very uncomfortable with a changing female body because she had started off super, super skinny. And mm-hmm. as one person on the A&E biography said, very masculine. 
So I think they were reaching them. Um, his, were they? Maybe. Okay. His writing really only increased his reputation because he was already doing speaking tours and becoming super popular. He had written one thing that had kind of tanked. And so I was like, okay. And then he comes out with a picture of Dorian Gray mm-hmm. and everybody's like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Um, this kind of started after he met a, a man friend. They became really close. They started to have a relationship and he started leading a very second life. And this ended up becoming part of his inspiration for creating picture of Dorian Gray. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of criticisms in the press from that time period because it was considered to be super vulgar and super risque. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking about earlier, it just made him even more popular. Right. Just because then he started doing essays and plays and they opened to packed houses and Mm -hmm. people were obsessed. Like, very big fandom. And then he meets Bosie. Oh, yes. Sir, Sir Douglas. Um... Evidently, Bosie had read the picture of Dorian Gray between, quote, 19, or 9 to 14 times. Which means that now you're married. Oscar was smitten as hell, mm-hmm. not just because Bosie was super cute, but because Bosie was very complimentary of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, they would go to fancy restaurants and drink champagne with ice in the glasses because that was an Oscar Wilde thing. It's just dumb. And Bosie taught him about the Demimonde, which is often referred to as the underworld. Yes. Um, and this is where they could meet other men and he could live this part of his life that he was starting to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, the unfortunate part about this is parliament had just recently created a law to ban all sex between men. So you could go to prison and do hard time. You still can in some places. Mm -hmm. And so Oscar was kind of hanging out in the background, like it was all about the challenge for him because he could get away with it. He was really enjoying it until he couldn't until he couldn't um there was a something i was listening to where they were talking about how he would go to these hotels and he would walk by guys that he had hooked up with and they had cigarette cases that were engraved from oscar Wilde to so-and-so for services rendered um like like he was not trying to hide he was just like let's see how far we can push this i love that so much but like bozy was his boy like he was always with bozy um, and unfortunately, Bozy's dad was a complete jackass, and, uh, he started publicly referring to Oscar Wilde as a sodomite, and Oscar was like, no, 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 listen, I'm a really popular writer, that's libel, I don't have time for this shit. So he took John Douglas to court. Only the tide turned against him, and he ended up being convicted for sodomy and yeah, going to serve hard labor. Don't sue if there's something you can counter- don't, don't do that. Well, evidently, the other lawyer would just go down to the Demimond area and pick... Well, that's pretty much everywhere. But he would go and pick up guys and be like, hey, I need you to come talk in court. And they were like, well, how much money are you going to give me? Right. So there were a lot of people that came and spoke against him who may or may not have had a relationship with Oscar. Fun fact, though, uh, reading a lot of those court papers is very, very interesting. Because Oscar Wilde answers questions in the exact way you would think Oscar Wilde would. Yes. <laughs> Very sarcastically, very wittily, very creatively, which unfortunately for the time period didn't work well. Um, I heard another lady in the A&E biography say, at that time period, any time that you are the first, what is it, any time that you're the first, you're likely to be burned as a witch. (laughs) Um, Accurate! So he ended up going to prison doing hard labor. Constance stood beside him because she was like, I I don't want to be a dick. Um, he ended up contracting meningitis in prison when he got out. She, or he and Constance split up. Mm-hmm. Um, he went back to Bozy briefly. Um, and then he ended up dying. And supposedly mm-hmm. his last words were, my wallpaper and I are fighting a duel to the death. One of us has got to go. Because that's what you do. I love Oscar Wilde so much. We were talking downstairs and, um, I made the point that I feel like there are very few authors that are actually be fun to drink with. Oh, yeah. Everyone says, like, oh, yeah, it'd be fun to drink with Hemingway. It'd be fun to drink with Jack Kerouac. I think Oscar Wilde would actually be very fun to drink with. Because, I mean, we talked about Hemingway would be the guy who punches someone else at the bar, and then you're 86 for life. Fitzgerald's the guy who's in the corner crying. Which means same. And then, like, Kerouac's, like doing some drugs in the bathroom and yeah, you're like Kerou- crap. Yeah, Kerouac wouldn't drink with you. He would just be doing cocaine in the bathroom. 
Like, like none of that sounds fun. Like after, after a while, like maybe the first couple times you hang out with somebody, you're like, okay. But then after a while you get kicked out of all the bars. Yeah. Yeah. But wild would be really funny. He would. I mean, it's, it's really sad that he went from being super popular to being a dude dying from meningitis. Yeah. It's, it's weird. He definitely, um, I'm weird when it comes to like the whole, like, where does the author fit into a narrative camp? But I do feel like you cannot extract wild from Dorian Gray. No. Like they're the same person. I mean, I don't feel like you can extract him from any of his works. No, you can't. You really can't. Like me and realistically, we could have an entire separate podcast just on like death of the author. We really could. Uh, because as much as I want the author to be dead in this, I mean, wild said it himself. Like he's Dorian Gray. And there's so many just quotes in the book that are more like throwaway one-liners mm-hmm. that you would see in a movie script or a, in this case, or, or a play versus a novel. Like there's so much of it. Like when you watch any description of it, mm-hmm. it's a real short story, but there's so much in there to unpack. Like there's so many cultural references and so many things that, are just Oscar Wilde being Oscar Wilde. Yeah, I think he's he's very easy to quote. He's almost memeable. Yes. Like, he's very easy to pull quotes from. Like, he has one of the few quotes that I consider getting tattooed on my body, which is, love is a sacrament best taken kneeling. You were talking about making that as a banner for your house. Oh, yeah, it's designed. I'm putting that in my house, and I'm waiting for someone to say something. I'm waiting. So, you would put in... A little caution here. Yeah, here's where we talk about the ethics of ascribing an orientation to a dead person. Uh, So while we do know that Oscar Wilde did have relationships, plural, with men, uh, because we are uh, people living in a modern era, we tend to try to ascribe things that might necessarily be there. So there's been, I know at least like in the circles that I've been looking at, a lot of descriptions whether he was gay or whether he was bi. Um, Because like you listening to how much he uh, found Constance Ludicrous when she was pregnant. He's more of like a closet gay man. But ethically, that's going to be something that I think we struggle with during this Pride Month. Uh, spoiler, I think we're reading Sappho next time. Yes. So even Sappho being the reason why we have words like sapphic and lesbian, we don't necessarily know what she was. We've ascribed a lot to her that might not necessarily be true. And I just, I would be remiss not to at least give us pause because we are talking about real people. He might be dead, but he was a real person. And this isn't a fan fiction. You know, this isn't you deciding that, you know, Supergirl and Lena Luthor are secretly super gay and you want them to have sex. You know, this isn't, this isn't fan fiction. This was a person with agency and with real feelings so as much as I'd love to have like a betting pool on do you think he was a, a gay or a bi it just well and bi erasure is a very real bi erasure thing. is so real um I mean Freddie Mercury is a huge example of that yeah Most people are like oh he's a gay icon and you're like okay but like he, he was bisexual though and they're like are you sure and you're like, like yes okay um I mean there's a lot of references about Shakespeare being bisexual yes um Lots of stuff that, you know, it's, it's, you get accused of being, quote, greedy, um, pick a side, that kind of stuff. I don't want to tell you how many times I've been told to pick a side. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the fun thing of, as you put it, um, a lot of times bisexuals don't get invited to the barbecue. Yeah, we're not invited to the barbecue very often. Um, truth be told, like, my experience in the LGBT community, it's not been straight men that say mean things to me, it's been cis gay men and cis les women straight men are just like fetishizing which is another thing that i think we need to pause on when it comes to this it's fetishization of homosexuality um one of my favorite uh, historical figures is king james who happened to be very very gay and very very openly gay one of his uh courtiers um so much so to saying when a when the duke his partner was dancing with their woman said by god george i love you and interrupted the whole dance. It was very cute. Are we talking King James the First of England slash Sixth of Scotland? Yes. Oh, I learned something new today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was a li- feverishly gay. 
for uh, I think it's Worsley or something like that. Some some Duke. I it escapes me at this moment, but yes. Um, but there's this weird fetishization of it, or even um, it was one of the Queen Anne's, not Bolin, but it was the other Queen Anne, who um said to have been too close to a female uh, member of her part, like her chamber. Uh, but we tend to fetishize those things, and I think that's just that's easy to do because intrigue is interesting. The intrigue of it is interesting, but it does again take away some agency to these people. Well, what's frustrating too is, I mean, you you see this all the time, and you know we have to be really careful about this. But like, when you have the one employee at work who's a gay man, yeah, and all the girls are like, "Hey, let's go shopping," and they're like, "I have no interest in you. That is not a thing." Like, right? If it is a thing, it's because we're friends. Yeah, um, and there's this wonderful uh, dichotomy that comes with either coming out uh having to answer a lot of questions that you don't want to answer necessarily or staying in the closet and you know hiding a part of yourself that really 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 uncomfortable episode of the office yeah Mm -hmm. um this is pride month so of course there has to be some uh sorrow to it we can't all just be uh corporate sponsorships and rainbows Stonewall was a real thing. Yeah, it was a real thing. If you don't know about the Stonewall riots, please do some education. So do some education. Wow. Hi. Please educate yourself is where I was going. No, I that. like do some education. That sounds about right. Do some education is like my new catchphrase now. Yeah, I like oh, that. Okay. I'm putting out on a shirt for the store. Do it. Oh, speaking of which, we have merch now. We do have merch now. And shout out to Stephanie for being the first person to buy a sticker. We appreciate you. With much love. But um, um, Oscar Wilde has a pimp-ass grave. He does have a pimp-ass grave. I'm going to see if I can put a picture of it on the website. <laughs> I don't know why he said it that way, but he has a bomb-ass grave. He is, is it Pierre Lachaise in France, in Paris? Good lord. It's like, it's amazing. Like, people go there for Jim Morrison, and I mean, I think I would just be there for this one. What would, what would you leave him? It looks like people leave him a lot of pens. I'm not leaving him a pen. I'm not I a mean, muggle. I might leave him some champagne. Yeah, like a, like a little, like, flight bottle. But here you go. Thanks, buddy. I mean, like, you can't really leave an ice cube, though, because then it's just water. Hey. hey. Yeah, I would, I would probably leave. Maybe, like, he, he liked he liked some flowers. He liked flowers. I would, I would leave him maybe, like, roses or something. Um, did, you, did you have to read this in school? Was this a book that you had to read in school? We didn't have to read it in high school. I think we had to read it in college. Okay. Um, I think in high school there would have been too much, too much staring, yeah, um, from the boys in the back. But uh, I wish they would. I want to see them try it. Yeah. Anyway, um, we use I used a lot of resources for this. Just as a heads up. Oh yeah, we use a lot of resources. I did not have to read this in school. Uh, I read this for pleasure because, of course, I did. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I still have a copy from one of my former best friends who I miss, but uh. She had left it for me and was like, you should read this. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I think Here's it was in high thing. school. Do you like it, though? I do like it. Um, there are some parts that are extremely long and unnecessarily so. Yes. For what he's trying to convey. But this is also his first and only book. Yeah. Everything else became plays. Like yeah. I can, def- I can definitely tell that this was a playwright's first attempt at uh, prose. It's kind of like when you are doing you know anything that's a more auditory medium Mm -hmm. like you do a radio show or something like that when you see people translate that into their writing Mm -hmm. it comes off more as a conversation than description i mean i'm seeing that right now with um, one of the books i'm reading from another podcaster and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and you're just going oh well this yeah no this is exactly how you talk right um, I think there, honestly, I think there are very, very few things that work over medium-wise like that. Like, I can only really think of one example, which is Welcome to Night Vale. Like, Welcome to Night Vale works just as well as a podcast, as a book, as a, I can't wait for it to be a TV show. They're making I, a TV show? They are trying. Though I do, I don't think I want a canonical idea of what Cecil's meant to look like. Yeah. I, I do like that about Welcome to Night Vale, is that uh, you are given very lush descriptions of five things, and that's it. So I don't think that I ever want, like, a pegged down, like, this is confirmed what Cecil looks like. But that's just me. 
I'm weird. I'm sorry. You're not weird and don't be sorry. Well, you are weird, but don't be sorry. Thank you. We're all weird. Anyway, weird is more fun. It is. Resources. So I think I used John Green for this one too, Mm-mm. but I wasn't sure if I did or not. No, there is I no, a lot. Okay, there is, so there there is no one. crash course on. Okay. Cause then I didn't use crash course cause I was like going through things on YouTube and writing them down. But Thug Notes did. I did do Thug Notes, which I love. Thug Notes is so good. Um, I, there's an article on untappedcities.com that is about an Oscar Wilde themed bar in New York that now I want to go to. Uh, there's a book coming out. It's not out yet, but it's by Gregory Mackey called Beautiful Untrue Things, and it's about the fan fiction stuff, yes. and I highly recommend it. I look forward to that. Um, culturetrip.com has a whole article about 15 things you may not know about Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. There's an amazing book out right now called Constance, The Tragic and Scandalous Life of Mrs. Oscar Wilde by Franny Moyle, which I highly recommend. I love, I'm reading it right now, and I love it. Um, if you want to spend some time on YouTube, there's an A&E biography. Um, I tend to watch all of this stuff on two times so I can get through it faster because that's how I roll. I tend to uh, play it in the background as I'm cooking or cleaning. There's a pretty good film that I haven't seen for about 10 years, so I, I don't remember how well it stands up, but it's called Wild. Um, it has Stephen Fry and Jude Law in it and like a bunch of other really famous people like Michael Sheen. Just okay, kind of in the actors background. alone, I'm sold. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Um, but I mean, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, as previously stated, we do have merch now on we do. Redbubble. We do. So I think we're unfortunately required on there as well. I hope so. Um, social media, you can find us on Facebook as unfortunately required reading mm-hmm. Twitter, unfortunately RR Instagram, unfortunately required, unfortunately required reading.com. And if you have a suggestion for a book for the podcast, a funny story, if you want to correct us, Feel free to travel. Come at me, bro. Come at me, bro. Or if you have you know, just something that you want to talk to us about, you can email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Um, now, please go read a book. 